Thank you for partnering um, with the Evansville Christian Life Center in a part of our 30 Days of Poverty. This is our second annual and Shoeless Sunday. So here with me this morning is Scott Williams. And Scott was with us last year. And he has been a consultant for Souls for Souls, which is the organization who helps us collect shoes. And so I'm going to get Scott to tell us a little bit about what he's been doing. Okay, I'll just tell you just uh, briefly a little bit about myself. I want to welcome everyone that's joined us at all the other churches and ministries and schools, all the organizations that are partnering with us today in this uh, Shoeless Sunday. Uh, first of all, I'll just kind of tell you how I got here today to be able to share with you guys. I was actually uh, talking to Pastor Keith and Gina. We were, we were on a conference call, and as we were having the conversation, um, they both asked me, like, well, um, well Pastor Scott, he said, uh, do you believe in free speech? And I'm like... Of course, I'm a First Amendment guy and everything. And so they said, would you mind coming to Evansville and giving one? <laughs> that's, that's not a true story, but... Uh, <laughs> kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> very, very generous. I, um, uh, no, seriously, I, uh, when I, I, I'm out of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I was on staff at, at LifeChurch.tv. It's a multi-site ministry. It's actually the largest church in America. They have... Uh, multi-site locations all over the country, and I was a pastor there. And then about uh, three years ago, I had my first book that came out, and we were working with other churches and organizations, so we stepped out and, and started this consulting company called Next Level Solutions, and, and God has just blessed us in, in a short amount of years to be able to work with uh, some of the largest churches around the world, churches in Nigeria, Australia, um, let me see, where do we get, I mean, Philippines, we work with churches all over, and lots of churches in the states as well, and also nonprofits and corporations. So what we do is we help them with organizational growth, so both internal and external. So if you're here and you say, man, our goal is to get here, and so that's what we try to do. And so with Souls for Souls in particular, able to connect them with the Christian community, and because it's just such an, a great organization, doing really, really good work. So that's what we do. We get to partner with great folks uh, like the Evansville Christian Life Center, like Bethel, and like all the churches that are joining us from the tri-state area. And so it's lots of fun. You get to meet lots of great people. It is. Well, of course, we met because of your relationship with Souls for Souls. But what do you see um, this relationship? How do you want, what's the accomplishment that you want to see from it? You know, I, I think the big thing for me is that is that folks like you get the opportunity to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus by partnering with someone like Souls for Souls that does something very, very practical. And I know that your heart is to make sure that you guys are, are giving a hand up and not a hand out. And that's really what Souls for Souls is all about. And so, so my relationship, I just want to make sure that folks are able to know about them, able to partner with their ministry, and just find the right connection points. Because a lot of times we don't know. We think everything is being done, and we think that, that there's just not opportunities for us to give and to serve and to give of our, our talents and our treasures. And so this is just an opportunity for, for us to do that in a very practical way. And as Pastor Keith just shared in the opening, just understand what it means about the feet. I mean, there's so many places in Scripture where Jesus talks about feet. And so I just why I think it's such a meaningful, meaningful organization. Absolutely. So what's the impact of a shoe collection like this? You know, I, I, a couple of things. And I'll just kind of, if I can just, you know, back up one step. Um, the, the CEO and founder of Souls for Souls, Wayne Elsey, in, in 2004, you had the Asian tsunami. And he was sitting there on his sofa like many of us when we see things that are happening around the world. We're able to just to sit and watch and shake our head like, oh, wow. And so he had this image of this one single children's shoe that floated up ashore. And so instead of just thinking of as a shoe, he really started to think about the faces and, and the person and who did the shoe belong to. And so God just really spoke to his heart. At the time, he was a big executive in, in a shoe company. And so he just asked that question, what am I going to do about it? 
And so as he went to sleep wrestling with that question the next morning, God birthed this vision uh, for Souls for Souls in 2004. So since then, he just he started meeting with shoe executives and other companies, and they started putting things together. And so that's where uh, Souls for Souls was birthed out of. And so as a result of it, now people are able to give. And, just, and, and the thing is, when we look at the shoes, some of you will give new shoes. And so the new shoes, if they'll go through a process of, of surveying the shoes. If they're new and great shoes, they'll, be, they'll go straight on people's feet. Some of them, maybe they're not so new. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll use the, the leather and they'll replace the leather. They'll use the rubber and they're able to repurpose it. And so what it does is now it creates jobs in these areas. And so there's just, it's just so much bigger than you dropping off your shoes. Because when we talk about this hand up concept, that's really what God is able to do with an organization like Souls for Souls because you think about it, there's, there's people that are able to have a jobs as a result of it. There's people that are able to, to do something that's much beyond themselves. And so, so that's really the beauty of it and the beauty of the organization. So how do churches step outside their walls and continue to do things like this, initiatives like this in the community? What's the church's part? Well, I think first of all, it starts with it starts with leadership, and so and and I think it's really the responsibility of, of leadership and of senior pastors. I know that's why Bethel and I hear Pastor Keith talk about all the churches in this city and around this area that it starts with the heart of the leader. The leader says, you know what, I want to get out beyond these walls to reach out to people across the street, around the block, around the world. And so that's what you're doing. So when the leaders say, you know what, we're going to get outside these four walls because it's more than coming and sitting in our comfortable chairs or our comfortable pews. And it's not about what you do on Sunday. It's about what are you going to do the other six days a week. And so what I think it starts to do is it starts to expose us to other things. God starts to shape and mold our heart, and it becomes who we are as opposed to what we do. And I think that's when God's really able to begin to transform us from the inside out because it's really a heart issue. Absolutely, and it, it truly is a way for you to walk out your faith each and every day at organizations like the Evansville Christian Life Center and all of the other poverty-fighting agencies in the community. So... Yeah, because I think it's also important to understand as you're kind of looking at this 30 days of poverty, it's not just about today and this, this event and you dropping off shoes. There's so many opportunities, 365 days a year. But what, what my prayer is and my hope is, is that God would grab a hold of individuals' hearts that are participating today, whether you cleaned out your closet, whether you're volunteering, whether you're serving, understand that there's opportunities you know, to really affect people that are in poverty. And if you look at there's 2.2 billion children in the world, and it's estimated that a billion of those children live in poverty. And it's also estimated 300 million of those children don't have adequate shoes. And so, and you probably think, well, what's the big deal with shoes? And so what happens in other parts of the world, there's these different diseases and, and, and forms of elephantiasis that, that these individuals and children and, and parents that are working can get. And so, so in some of these areas, they can't go to work when they have this disorder. And so next thing you know, there's 45% of their the year they can't work because of it, so that's money that they can't use to take care of their families. And then for the children, they can't go to school. And so, and so I just think when we look at poverty, that's around the world, but right here locally, and the things that you guys are doing that affect so many different things, and just know that, that we get the opportunity to be a part of it. And, and, and for me, that's the beauty of, of Souls for Souls, is that in 2004, when Wayne Elsie started, he's since gone and he's doing other nonprofits and organizations, mm -hmm. but the legacy lives on. Absolutely. And if we look at Evansville Christian Life Center, yes. however long ago it was started, there was leaders that had a vision birthed out of Bethel Church. And next thing you know, 
the legacy lives on. And so that's what you want. You want to support organizations who live way beyond their founders and their leaders because they're really about truly being the hands and feet of Jesus. Absolutely, and that's what it's all about. It started here, but that legacy is still continuing today, 28 years later. So Scott, I'm gonna let you pray um, over this congregation and what's happening in this community. Okay. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity today. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship you, God. I thank you for uh, your sons and daughters that are here today, God. I, I thank you for all the ones that, that are going to give sacrificially. So many of them, God, are going to walk out these doors today um, with no, no shoes on their feet. God, thank you for the ones who, who cleaned out their closet. Thank you for the ones who serve on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis at Evansville Christian Life Center and the other poverty-fighting organizations around this tri-state area. God, I, I pray for all the other churches and organizations that are joining us today. God, would you speak to their heart? And more importantly, would you just be with us today? And as a result of it, God, would your name be famous? Would other people be blessed? And will we make a difference in the lives of the underserved? We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for our God this morning, guys. It is awesome to be here. I've already kind of done my, my introduction, but just briefly, again, from Oklahoma City, it's good to be back in the tri-state area. And kind of how I work is this. It's like once I come back as a guest, I'm no longer a guest. I'm considered family. And so it's kind of like, you know, when you're family, I like to say that you have pantry and refrigerator rights. And, you know, in other words, like when I'm no longer, I'm a family, I can come in, I can go in your refrigerator, I can go in your pantry. So that, that's kind of how it is. So if you see a brother show up at your house today, uh, browse around your refrigerator, know that's why, because I feel like I'm family. And it, it's great to be back with you guys. Um, again, from Oklahoma City, love Oklahoma City. I'm a big fan of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, we're excited about winning the NBA championship this year. <laughs> I guess we might have some Pacers fans in the area. So uh, we actually, uh, no, that, w that wasn't to clap. That was just the comment. We actually play you guys tomorrow, so we'll get a chance, maybe a little preview of the NBA finals. As long as you guys take out the same enemy that we have in common, that'd be the Miami Heat, you know what I'm saying? And so... Um, uh, we're excited, looking forward to that game tomorrow. So uh, Oklahoma City, love it. God's doing some amazing things there. But the other thing is, man, now that I, I'm doing full-time consulting, I get to travel all around the world, get to meet lots of great people, get to meet lots of great pastors, hear lots of great stories, and meet lots of folks like you guys. And so I just want to tell you guys, man, I go to some, some crazy areas, and I do lots of traveling. So what that means is I find myself in lots of airplanes and lots of airports. You know what I'm saying? Here's the deal. Like, I, I understand and I appreciate, like, the whole security process at, at, the, at the airport, but sometimes it's a little bit too much. And I remember one time I was going through Dallas, and uh, I was on my way to Detroit, and, and as I go through security, at the time I had an afro, and as I'm going through security, the guy said, excuse me, sir, we're going to need to check your hair. <laughs> Thank you. So I walked through. True story. I leaned back. And dude proceeded with blue gloves to pat my hair. <laughs> Full-on massage. I'm thinking, hey, bro, don't pat the fro. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, so I was going through, and then, like, you, you get on airplanes. And one thing about the airplanes is you meet all different sorts of people, all sorts of pilots, all sorts of flight attendants. I mean, I was on a Southwest flight one time, and the flight attendant, he's doing his announcements. He says, and uh, when you put your seatbelt on, I want you to wear it just like you wear that miniskirt. 
low and tight across those hips. <laughs> Did he just say that? You know what I'm saying? And then, it's like, and then you, you sit by all sorts of people. And like, it's always like some point in time in the conversation, they always ask you, what do you do for a living? And then it's always like when I tell them I'm a pastor, like the conversation changes. Like a lady, she's like, sir, I'm not reading Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm sorry. Like she puts it in the back of the thing. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not reading this book. And then one time I, I sat by a guy, I sat by a guy, he looked like uh, Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty. And so I'm sitting by him, we're having a conversation. Five minutes into the conversation, he looks over and he says, guess what? One of my best friends is black. Just for the record, that is not like a term of endearment. You know what I'm saying? He might as well said, you know what? I own a pair of black boots. I spank my children with a black belt. Hey, you know what? We even got a colored TV. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, no. So do, do lots of traveling, meet lots of great people. But I just want to tell you guys, man, I uh, absolutely love Love your pastor, Pastor Keith and Samantha. You guys are, are truly, 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 truly blessed. And I, I don't say this lightly. Like I, I meet lots of pastors, lots of great leaders, but I'm telling you, it's no surprise how and why God is blessing what's going on here at Bethel Church. Because, man, when you have leaders like that, that, that are the real deal, what you see is what you get, they're committed, focused. And one thing I love about Pastor Keith is he really loves this city. Every time I talk to him, I tell him, what's going on? Normally I ask that to Pastor, they always tell me, what's going on in the church? He always talks about, we have some amazing things going on in this city. As a result of, that's why you have so many churches that are partnering today. And so just know, don't take that for granted, man. You have awesome, awesome leadership. And uh, uh, Michael Jr., he's a comedian. Some of you guys may have heard him before. He's a friend of mine. And, and so I was texting him last night, letting him know I was down. He's like, man, that Keith guy, he's really cool. He said, he's almost as smooth as you. And so, um, <laughs> almost, you know what I'm saying? But uh, he's uh, good. And so um, I'm excited to share with you today, excited to share God's word. I'm excited to to preach. God's put something in me, so I'm going to preach for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> but uh, sometimes I just say stuff and I forget what I'm going to say next. And so, but I'm excited to be able to share God's word. I know that, that here at Bethel, you guys have been going through this message series. You just com com completed last week as you talked about this courageous crossing. And Pastor Keith was able to share, uh, talking about having this praying these audacious prayers and then understand what the sun stands still prayer was. And so for me, like as God was sharing, what do I share this week as we're talking about speaking to your church, speaking to the other church that are joining us, and really God had laid on my heart to share about prayer. And so I started saying, well, God, well, Pastor Key just spoke on that last week, and God said, Scott, so you're trying to say that, that you only need to hear about prayer one week? I'm like, no, God, I'll, I'll make sure that I preach on prayer today. And so like, and so that's what we're going to share today is we're going we're to talk about prayer. And as a matter of fact, we're going to, we're going to look at the life of, um, of one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the life of Daniel. And so for many of you that may speak to you because you're on a Daniel fast, and like, here's the deal, I feel your pain. We do it the first 21 days of the year every year. Every time I read the book of Daniel during the Daniel fast, I'm always like, I know it says that Daniel went for three weeks and he didn't eat any delicacies and he ate fruits and vegetables. And like about three weeks in or about two days in, matter of fact, forget the three weeks, two days in, I'm always reading through Daniel's like, where does it say that he killed the cow and ate it? You know what I'm saying? Like, where does it say that? Give me some meat. And so anyway, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Daniel's life. Um, but before we dive in, let's go ahead and go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let's pray. God, speak to us. Amen. I thought it was going to be some long-winded prayer. 
No. Here's the deal. For the record, as we're talking about prayer, God listens to short prayers as well. Can I get an amen? amen? You know what I'm saying? And we all have like that family member or friend that likes to pray really long prayers by a show of hands. Everybody that has that family member or friend, raise your hand all of our locations. If you're not raising your hand, you are that family member. <laughs> that, is, that is you. And uh, if you have your Bibles, um, you can go ahead and open them up to Daniel 6. Daniel 6, if you have your Bibles, if you have a smartphone, you can open up there as well. Even if you have a dumb phone, just open up to Daniel 6. <laughs> Daniel 6 uh, will begin in verse 9. Let me go ahead and set the stage for you guys. It's a time in Scripture where uh, Daniel had served faithfully for over 70 years. That's seven zero. So he had been a very faithful man of God, a very faithful servant. And as he continued to serve faithfully and demonstrate this great leadership, Daniel continued to get promoted and elevated. So the satraps or the province rulers of the time, they continue to elevate Daniel in his leadership. So he continues to get elevated. And how many of you guys know what happens when you get elevated, whether it's in school or work in your situation, you get elevated and promoted, who starts to come out around you? The haters. That's right. So all the haters start to come out. So as he continues to get promoted and elevated, the haters start to come out. They're trying to think, man, what can we do to get these guys caught up? I like to say it this way. As you reach new levels, you get new devils. That's good preaching right there. Let me rewind. I like to say it this way. As you reach new levels, you get new devils. And so many times in our life, that's the situation. That's what happened to Daniel. So, so, the, so all the haters, these guys start coming down. And they, they go to King Darius at the time. And they say, King, we think that anyone that's caught praying to anyone other than you should be thrown in the lion's den. And the reason why they proposed is because they knew that Daniel was a very faithful man of God. They knew he was a very faithful man of prayer. And so they proposed this to King Darius. And so King Darius kind of wrestles with, should I do this or shouldn't I do it? And then finally King Darius made the decision and said, you know what? I'll go ahead and sign this in the law. Because he looked at it from, you know what, it'll bring more unity. So he said, okay, I'll go ahead and sign in the law. So he did. And about that time, that's where we pick up in Scripture in Daniel 6. Uh, we'll go ahead and begin in verse uh, 10 and 11. Here's what the text says. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Scripture says he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. You see, you have prayer, and then you have prayer like Daniel prayed. And what Daniel teaches is that we have to live a life where prayer is our steering wheel and not simply our spare tire. Because oftentimes in life when we have a struggle and we have a problem, that's when you know we need to pull out the spare tire and we need to pray. But Daniel teaches us something different. We have to learn to pray with prayer as our steering wheel. In other words, the thing that is guiding our lives. And if you're taking notes, you can write this first thing down as this, is that prayers are powerful when they are humble. Prayers are powerful when they are humble. Let's look back at verse 10 again. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, it says he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. It says he got down on his knees 
three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. In other words, he found himself in this very humble position of worship. But you think about it, we schedule everything, but a lot of times we don't schedule time to pray to God. But Daniel went to his upper room, he found a time and a place, and he found himself in this very humble position of worship. And that's what we have to do is this illustration of humility. You know, speaking of humility and being humble, some of you guys may remember my story uh, last year when I told you that I, uh, I was a prison warden. At the age of 25, I was one of the youngest prison wardens in the country. And, and, and what I would do, I was what they call a new school prison warden. And so the old school prison warden would just sit there at their desk and tell everybody to go do stuff they wouldn't walk around. But what I like to do is every single day, I'd get up and I'd go walk the units because I wanted to, to understand who the inmates were. I wanted to have a relationship with the guards and the officers. And so that's what I'd do every single day. I'd walk the units. And one thing about prison is that you have all these different religions that are represented. So you have all these different individuals that are praying. I mean, you might have the Buddhists praying to Buddha. You have the Muslims praying to Allah. And you have Christians praying to Jesus. I remember every single time that I walked through this one particular unit, there was this inmate, his name was Johnson. And every single time I'd walk through, I'd see Johnson on his knees in this very humble position of worship, praying to Jesus. And see, so here's the deal. In prison, it's not easy to be humble because it's all about being macho and this machismo and being rough and tough. But every single time I'd walk through, that's what I'd see Johnson doing. And so it made me just kind of just kind of always would pause, and there was something just unique about this particular inmate. But one thing that we can learn from Daniel's life and what the Bible tells us is this, is that is, the Bible says, it says, it says God opposes the proud. In other words, don't be proud, but he says he gives grace to the humble. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. In other words, God is saying, he said, you have to be lowered before you can be lifted. I mean, think about it. We hear so many tragic stories of people that we look up to of leaders in our nation, of people in your church, people in the churches that are joining us, people all around. We hear stories of people falling from grace. And here's what I can guarantee you. Those individuals that are falling are not finding themselves on their knees in this very humble position of worship, praying to Jesus. Because here's the deal, when you're on your knees and you fall, guess what? You don't fall very far. And so that's what we have to do. We have to understand what it means to be in this humble position of worship. The second thing is this, if you're taking notes, is that prayers are powerful when they are specific. Prayers are powerful when they are specific. Again, so you had these men that, that wanted to get Daniel caught up and wanted to get him thrown in the lion's den, right? And so they knew that that was going to be easy to do because Daniel was always praying. And so they're plotting and they're planning and they go and they look at Daniel. The next thing you know, I mean, they start, they find him praying and they start taking pictures. They're putting it on Instagram. And so next thing you know, like, man, they're sharing. So they catch him up. And so they know they're going to go to King Darius and say, King Darius, guess what? We found your boy. We found your guy, Daniel. And he wasn't praying to you. King Darius, guess what you signed in the law? You signed in law that anyone found praying to anyone other than you is going to be what? It's going to be thrown 
in the lion's den. So King Darius, he wrestled with this decision because he knew that Daniel was a very faithful man of God. And he also knew that Daniel was a very faithful man of prayer. But he also knew that as a leader, sometimes you have to make tough decisions. And so what he did, he made the decision. He said, I signed in the law. He said, go get Daniel so we can bring him to have him thrown in a lion's den. And I'll be honest with you guys. I don't know much about lion's dens. I've never been in one. You know what I'm saying? As, as, as a matter of fact, the only thing I know about lions is, is what I've seen at the zoo and what I've seen on National Geographic. And here, here's what I do know. I know that cats are evil and, like, lions are, like, evil and then some. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so, and so, like, so here's the deal. So lions, so, and, and the thing is, everybody's seen, like, the, the National Geographic deal with the lions, right? By a show of hands, you guys have kind of seen the scenario if you have it, let me go ahead and play it out for you. Here's how it works out. There's always like this line. He's like, rah, 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 rah. you know what I'm saying? Doing his thing. Like he's, rah, rah. and then, and there's always like, I don't know, a pack of antelopes. And so there's a pack of antelopes and they're over here just, just antelopin'. You know what I'm saying? Like, so they're just, they're just antelopin' around. And then, and then you have the lion, rah, rah, rah. and then you got the antelopes. And there's always like the one antelope that wanders off by itself. And he's like, Butterfly. And then the lion, the lion is just crouching down. And next thing you know, the music gets really, really intense. And next you know, you see the lion, it jumps on the antelope, and you see fur flying, you see blood flying. And next thing you know, the antelope is dead. And there's an entirely different sermon I could preach right there. That's why you should be in a small group. Because if you're not, yeah, if you're not in community, you're going to end up dead. Yeah, okay, so, so here's the deal. So, so they, go get, they go get Daniel, and they have him, and they bring him to the lion's den. And they get ready to have him thrown in the lion's den. And the last words King Darius said to Daniel, almost as a very specific prayer, he looked at him and said this, he said, may your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you. He threw him in the lion's den. They put a rock over the lion's den. And the Bible tells us that King Darius went back home with this tension of Daniel being in the lion's den and going to his plush area that he stayed in. And it said that he prayed and fasted all night about the decision that he just made. And it says the next day, King Darius comes back to the lion's den, obviously to find Daniel mauled by the lions. So he has him pull the rock off the lion's den. Next thing you know, Daniel pops his head out, like, it may seem crazy what I'm about to say. You know what I'm saying? He's like, he's like, here's the deal. He's like, cause I'm happy. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's the deal. He stood up, he poked his head out, and, and they looked and like, what happened? But we have to learn to read between the lines here. I mean, what prayer do you think Daniel prayed? 
Let me tell you what Daniel prayed. He prayed a very specific prayer. I pray in the, God, I pray that you would keep these lions' mouth closed and that I would not be harmed. And so that's what happened. He comes out and he's unharmed. And then here's what he says to King Darius. If you jump down, it says still in Daniel 6, verse 21 and 22. He's like, Daniel said to the king, he said, Oh, king, live forever. He said, My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. You have to learn to pray very, very specific prayers. I think about a time, and I remember very vividly when I prayed a very specific prayer. I'm being from Oklahoma City, we have these things called tornadoes, and they're, they're pretty serious in Oklahoma. Like, we actually listen to the weathermen when, they're, when they say that there's a tornado coming. I mean, we're watching the Doppler radar, and we're being like our own little meteorologist. And so I remember there was one year, um, there was a storm, and it was about 30 miles outside of Oklahoma City. And they said this, it was in El Reno, they said it was coming our way. And as we continued to watch, we continued to get closer, and so, um, and they said that it was softball-sized hail. First of all, that should be illegal. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> softball-sized hail. And so at the time, I remember my wife and I, we gathered our two boys. We gathered our two boys, and so we, um, we, we got them together, and we listened to the, the, the storm radio. And so we put, like, uh, football helmets on them, and we got, like, blankets and put a mattress over us. That's like a, a ghetto storm shelter. You know what I'm saying? And so, like... So we, we get in the bathtub, and so we're sitting there, and we're listening to the radio, and it says the storm's getting closer, and we hear the wind blowing really hard. The next thing you know, the electricity goes off, and then we hear the hail, boom, boom, boom. And I remember just before that storm arrived, I grabbed my family's hands, and I said, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you would protect my family and that you would protect my home. And the storm raged, and it came through. And the next morning, if you go out and look, you saw there were power lines down, there were trampolines in people's yards that they didn't even belong to. I mean, it was crazy. And over the next few months and the several weeks, you would see all the construction people in the neighborhood, and you see all the adjusters. And I remember uh, calling my insurance adjuster, and he said, Scott, he said, we'll get somebody out there. He said, but here's kind of how this works. And some of you guys that may be in the insurance business know what I'm talking about. They said, with a storm like this, we know that pretty much an entire neighborhood has been told, we'll get somebody out there, and they'll take care of you. And so all of our neighbors are getting their roofs fixed. And I remember the adjuster guy came out, and, and he said, okay, he said, here's the deal. He said, uh, Mr. Williams, he said, we're going to hook you up. He said, we're going to give you a lifetime warranty, impact resistant, you know, shingles. And how many of you guys know when you hear the words hook up or hook you up, it just puts a smile on your face. You know what I'm saying? And so, so he goes and he gets on the roof and he's doing his thing, whatever it is that roofers do. And so he's looking around and adjusters and he's looking at stuff and he's on his cell phone. Now, I remember about 10 minutes later, he comes down off the ladder and, and he looks at me and says, he says, Mr. Williams, he says, I've never seen anything like it. I'm thinking, was it that bad? And he says, no. He says, in the eight years that I've been doing this, I've never seen it. He said, here's the, you don't have any damage to your roof. He said, I can't find any damage to your roof. And I said, seriously? I mean, since then I've learned to say more spiritual things like, hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in the, 
In the name of Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Like I prayed very, very specific prayers. And here's the thing about specific prayers. It's also about increasing our faith. Because the Bible says you do not have because you do not ask God. You have to be very, very specific. Pray very, very specific prayers. I mean, think about it. Some of you, oh, don't just pray, oh, God, uh, just free me from this addiction. No, God, I pray that I never look at another inappropriate image for as long as I live. I never click on another inappropriate link for as long as I live. Oh, just kind of help me with this, with this drug addiction. No, God, I pray that I never see another prescription bottle, that I never hang out with anybody that does drugs, and I get, never go near the dope man's house. Oh, God, I, I help, help me to, to get in shape and to lose weight. No, God, I pray that I honor you with my life and with my body every single day, and I make it a lifestyle. God, pray very, very specific. Oh, just uh, help me to be a better husband. No, God, I pray that I'm the man of God that you've called me to be. I pray that I lead my family like you've called it to lead. And I pray that I treat my wife like the princess that she is. Oh, God, I just pray that, that we, can, we can beat our goal of 15,000 shoes and help kids. No, God, I pray that we smash that goal of 15,000 shoes, that we do well over 20,000 shoes, and that you do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Very, very specific prayers. Because prayers are powerful when they are specific. I mean, what would happen if every single person at all the churches in this tri-state area, and every single person at Bethel prayed very specific prayers about reaching this area with the good news of Jesus and about truly serving the underserved. Let me tell you what would happen. People in this tri-state area wouldn't be talking about uh, what's happening at Kentucky, what's happening with the Colts, what's happening with the Hoosiers. They wouldn't be talking about anything like that. They'd be talking about what God is doing through the men, women, and students of faith in this tri-state area, how lives are different, how marriages are being restored, and how people are being found. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Pastor Keith's book said, you found me. Third thing, if you're taking notes, is just go ahead and write this one down is that prayers are powerful when they are persistent. Prayers are powerful when they are persistent. Let's be persistent and go back and look at verse 10 and 11 again. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. It says he got on his knees, how many times a day? One more time, come on, everybody join us, you can do better. How many times a day? Three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. In other words, three times a day as he had done before. In other words, over and over and over and over again. This is what he did. Very, very persistent over and over again. It says, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. You see, a lot of us pray and nothing happens, and we kind of give up. We're like, oh, well. But you have to learn to pray over and over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, I want everybody to do something for me. Everybody hold up one hand, and then hold up one finger, okay? Now I want you to tap that hand in unison. Ready to go? All the locations join us. Now two fingers. Okay, three fingers. Now four. Now five, now stop, 
You see what happens when you pray over and over and over and over again. It gets louder and louder and louder. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we pray over and over and over and over again. It gets louder. It begins to increase our faith. The people around us begin to hear it. They begin to feel it. And next thing you know, things are beginning to be transformed. And that's what we have to do is to pray over and over and over and over again. Be very, very persistent. And don't give up on your prayers. I mean, think about it, Daniel, you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel kept praying. Daniel, you're in the lion's den. Daniel kept praying. Daniel, you're out of the lion's den. Daniel, he kept praying. Here's the deal. Daniel didn't allow his outward circumstances to affect his inward assurance that God was going to show up. And that's how we have to be. You know, I told you earlier about that inmate named Johnson. And every single time I'd walk through the units, I'd see Johnson on his knees praying to Jesus. And so as I'm sitting there thinking about Johnson, and every time I walk through, and I, I begin to have a conversation with Johnson, and begin to learn a little bit more about his story. And Johnson said, here's the deal, warden. He says, I'm not even supposed to be in here. I was wrongfully convicted. And here's the deal. And so, here, and he would always pray these prayers every single day. And all the other inmates would be like, Johnson, why do you keep praying these prayers? At this point in time, Johnson had already done about six calendar years. And here's the deal, you have to be careful when people say they're wrongfully convicted in prison, because a lot of people say that. But with Johnson, it was just something that you believed. And so he says, Ward, you know why I pray every single day? He said, I pray every single day over and over and over and over again, because my prayer is that my good name would be restored. And so that's what he did every single day, over and over. And here's the deal. He didn't allow what the people, the other inmates were saying, he didn't allow those outward circumstances affect his inward assurance that God is going to show up. So my question for you today is what is your situation? What is your lion's den? For some of you, it's something that only you and God know about. For some of you couples, maybe you've been trying to, to get pregnant, some of you month after month, and many of you year after year, but yet no pregnancy. For others of you, maybe it's a, your parents and you have a, a child who's run from the Lord and you keep praying. Or some of you, maybe you, you have a son or daughter and, and they're with someone that you know is not God's best. Or maybe some of you, you're in a situation where, where people have, have, have said things about you that aren't true. And they, 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 they've casted you in a light that isn't true. You've got to keep praying. Or maybe it's a situation where, you know what, it just seems to look dark, like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe it's a family member that has cancer. Maybe you, you have cancer and you need healing. Or you have some other disease. But you have to keep praying. You can't give up. You have to keep praying over and 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 over again. There's some children around the world that are praying, I wish my situation was different. I wish I just had a pair of shoes so I could go to school today. There's some parents that are saying, I wish I had some shoes so I wouldn't have gotten this disease 
so I could go to work today. But they have to keep praying over and over and over and over and over and over again. You have to be persistent. Don't give up. Keep praying. And the fourth thing and the last thing, if you're taking notes, you can simply write this one down. The last one is this. Is prayers are powerful when they are expectant. Prayers are powerful when they are expectant. I like to say it's this way. It's uh, prayer may be the, the key to heaven, but it's faith that unlocks the door. You know what I'm saying? You have to believe it. And a lot of times that's what God is stirring up inside of us. Here's the thing. We have to learn to see the invisible in order to receive the impossible. We have to be able to see it. We have to be able to expect that we have to have faith. Because here's the thing. If we don't expect it, then why should God expect it? But a lot of times we don't expect it. We don't believe that God is going to show up because we're scared and because we're fearful. But here's what you need to know. Is that fear, that doesn't come from God. Because God hasn't given you, he hasn't given me, he hasn't given those of you joints, he hasn't given you the spirit of fear. I like to say it this way, is that fear is the prison where potential is confined. And when you're scared, your potential is confined in your fear. You need to be able to step out and you need to be able to believe it. It reminds me of a story in the Bible. And many of you, you, you've read the story. Many of you know the story. It's a story in in Luke 8. And it's a story when Jesus and his disciples, they're on the boat. And they're on the boat and Jesus is saying that we need to go to the other side. And so they're traveling on the boat to the other side. And Jesus falls asleep. Jesus is taking a nap. And the storms start raging, and the waters start raging all up against the boat. And the disciples, they get scared, and they get fearful, and they go, and they wake up. Jesus, like, Jesus, you got to wake up. They said, we're going to die. And I love the lesson that Jesus teaches us right at that moment. He does two things. The first thing he does is this. He looks at the storm, and he says, storm, be still next breath, he looks at his disciples, he looks at every single one of you, and he says, why do you have such little faith? Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. Jesus is in the boat with you. Whatever your situation is, he said, I just want you to have faith. You have to expect it. Just like I told you about that inmate Johnson. And every single time I'd walk through, Johnson was in the exact same place in the day area there in the prison praying. I remember one particular day, I walked through the unit. And, and, and I, I could see Johnson out of the corner of my eye, and I'm talking to some other inmates, and I'm having a conversation with them. And no sooner than I could finish the conversation with the other inmates, Johnson comes up to me, he says, Warden. I'm like, what's up, Johnson? He says, I got my papers. I'm like, 
what are you talking about? John, he said, I got my papers. He said, my case has been overturned. He said, my good name is gonna be restored. He says, I got my papers. He said, I told you I prayed every single day for six and a half years that God would restore my good name. He says, I got my papers. And here's what God sent me hundreds of miles to tell every single one of you is that God's got your papers. I don't care what your situation is. Whatever your situation, you keep praying, you need healing, you gotta know that God's got your papers. Maybe you've been divorced and you feel like you're running around with a big D on your forehead and God could never send you Mr. or Mrs. Right. You have to keep praying because God's got your papers. Maybe you're in school and students are treating you in a disrespectful manner and you're thinking, what do I do? You gotta keep praying and know that God's got your papers. Maybe it's a, a business that you need to start but you're too scared to do it. And should I step out in faith? What you need to know is that God's got your papers, whatever it is, that pregnancy, that situation, that healing, maybe maybe you lost your money in the stock market, maybe you're busted and you don't have a job and you don't know where the next bills are going to be paid, how they're going to be paid, you got to keep praying over and over and over and over again because God's got your papers. I don't care what your situation is. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that truly has our papers. I'm so thankful that many of you are going to be that prayer answered for so many people around the world because of a simple act of generosity on this shoeless Sunday. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to worship you, God. I thank you for uh, your sons and daughters, God. I thank you for, for every single person that's under the sound of my voice, God. I pray that, that, God, that you would give them revelation. I pray that their prayer life would be different um, as we're still in an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed all across this room. How many of you guys would be honest enough to say, you know what, God, I need for you to increase my faith. God, I want to walk out here today just with more faith than ever before. If that's you and that's your prayer before God, just raise your hand all across this room. I want to pray for every single person that's, God, I pray for every single hand that's lifted all across this room. Individuals saying, you know what, God, increase their faith. God, I pray that this week that you would just show them what it means to be faithful as a result of their faith. God, I pray that other people would be ministered to because of their faith. Whatever their situation is, God, I just pray that you would increase them, God. Would they walk out today with their chest stuck out, with a smile on their face because they know that their faith was increased, not because of what they did and who they are, but because of who you are and what you did on the cross, God. Jesus, we thank you. You can put your hands down now with still in the attitude of prayer with heads still bowed and, and eyes still closed. As we talk about God having our papers, one of the most important papers that I can ever have is what the Bible calls the book of life. And for those individuals who have made a decision to surrender their life to Jesus, their name has been written in that book. For many of you, that's your situation. Your name is in that book and as a result of it, you know grace, you can have a smile on your face. But there's others of you and maybe you've been kicking the tires and you're trying this whole church thing out, but you've never truly stepped across the spiritual line and surrendered your life to Jesus. If you're here today and today's the day you say, you know what, I want to surrender my life to Jesus because here's what I know. Many people are going to miss heaven by 12 inches because they have a head knowledge, but they don't have a heart acceptance. 
So if you're here today and today's the day you want to surrender your life to Jesus, say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior, and to wash my sins away. If that's you and that's your prayer, cost this auditorium, raise your hand high right now. Just raise your hand high. And you say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. Okay, hands going up all over. Hands, I see there in the balcony, hands up all over. So, so here's what we're going to do, Bethel, is I want to do something a little bit different. I want every single one of us, we're going to pray this prayer out loud together in faith, joining the hearts with those individuals who've made a decision to follow Jesus. And so I also want every single one of you to repeat this prayer after me saying, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins. Today I choose to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, change me, and make me brand new. In Jesus' name I pray.